Support for this episode comes from Lalamand Brewing. Lalamand Brewing is a division of Lalamand Inc., a global producer of yeast and bacteria that aims to help breweries achieve their growth and quality goals by offering products, services, and education. Lalamand Brewing's premium brewing yeasts and bacteria deliver unmatched consistency, reliability, and purity, allowing brewers to take full control of the brewing process. At the forefront of innovation and always looking to expand on the motto, we brew with you, Lalamand Brewing recently launched Lau Brew Verdant IPA in collaboration with Verdant Brewing Co. UK. Lau Brew Verdant IPA is a unique strain of brewing yeast suitable for a broad range of beer styles, notably modern IPAs. To find out more about Lalamand Brewing and follow their news and product launches, connect with them on social media or visit www.lalamandbrewing.com. Hello everyone, my name is Tim Sheehan and I'm the editor of the Brewer's Journal. Uh, it's a great honour and privilege today to be joined by my good friend John Keeling. How are you John? I'm good, thank you. Fantastic. Well John, um, as I said to you you know, multiple times in the past, it's a real honour and a privilege to someone that really helped shape my journey in beer, journey in brewing and appreciation of what I do for a living now, you know, from an early, early point to, to have you, you know, as a regular part of what we do in the events, in the magazine. So um, really, since day one of the magazine, we were visiting Fuller's. I think that was the second ever visit we did, uh, May or June 2015. And I remember popping up to your office several days before I'd been to see uh, uh, Logan Plant, yeah. founder of Beavertown. And we had a great chat, great visit, obviously two very different breweries, Fuller's and Beavertown. And I said, Logan, I'm actually really nervous about going to meet John because I've grown up in West London. I've drunk Fuller's, London Pride, ESB. Uh, at that point, Discovery was a new beer, well, relatively new um, in my sort of formative formative days of drinking. Uh, great cast beer and cake beer. And he goes, don't worry, Tim. Just talk about Man United. <laughs> and we were finally, we were down the hock cellar doing a tasting one of the great tour guides. And... I got a word said, oh, John will see you now. And it popped upstairs. And first thing I said is, um, looking forward to the game tomorrow. And this look was just like, what the hell are you talking about? And I was like, yeah, cheers, Logan. You know, that, that, that was my in. That, that was going to be the sort of softly, softly. But uh, didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't work. I mean, they probably just lost the game or something. Well, I, no, that, that's the thing. You, you were playing well. Oh, and right. I thought this was just like, you go like putty in my hands. Yeah. But, um, but no, so... Uh, Obviously, you retired from Fuller's as brewing director. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you miss the day to day? No, not really. I'm glad I'm retired. I think it's uh, you just move on, you know, and life changes. Um, I'm still involved in the world of beer to the level I quite yeah. like, and we do lots of other things as well. So, getting a traveling, you know just having time to spend doing what you want to do. And it's also good not having a boss. Yeah. 
yeah i mean as brewing director did you consider yourself a boss well i, I was in charge of brewing yes but then i report to the managing director and i think sometimes they agree with you sometimes they don't so I, I think it's 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 a difficult thing because come the higher you get up the more it involves money and it's not just a matter of just doing your job and whatever, but no. it's what are the profits of the company. And I always found that, um, you know, the most tedious part of doing the job. But you've, you've often spoke about the fine balance between the brewing and production side and the sales and marketing. Yes. And I imagine in this day and age, you know, so it's, it's, we've still got an incredible amount of breweries here in the UK and further afield, but it's obviously a tough climate now. I imagine that it's, you know, and that's a, fine line to tread between making the product you want and making the product that sells. Yeah, I, I think, but if you review it as a team of people, so you have sales, marketing, brewing, production, operations, all involved in then you're all pulling in the same way. The, the biggest problems occur when one of those groups has a, a, an idea on their own and are determined to make it work. So they then tell the other teams, this is how we want you to do this. And that never works. I mean, so it's all, I'd, I'd learned through my career, the more cooperation you get, the better the result, end result always turns out to be. So I think um, when we did Black Cab and um, myself and Derek Prentice was, the, was then the two people, and we wanted to do Black Cab for a reason. And the reason was, we're a London brewery and, and London is the home of stout and stout was originated in London, etc., etc. So we wanted to do this. So we, we then approached marketing and sales and said, we want to do this. And the initial reaction was, why? Why would we bother ever to do a stout? Dark beers that, you know, Guinness has got the market wrapped up and and then we explained that the origins of stout are actually London. And they got more and more interested in this. And then they said, right, we're going to go away and think about this. And they came back and said, we've thought of a name for the stout. We're going to call it Black Cab Stout. And I thought, well, that's the most perfect name for a London stout. So they really got it. And that's why it worked far better. Yeah. And then things happened with it. And it's not as we don't make it anymore. It's now coming mm. back in actual fact. They're going to relaunch it. But we it got taken off because of Guinness. Guinness uh, wanted Guinness in Fuller's pubs, so they were willing to make that happen. But in terms of an example of new product development with everyone being on the same page, it, that's it, a 10 it out of great, 10. Yeah, I, and in, in many cases, it, it actually did work so well. It was selling really well. And it was really Guinness who decided that they would do anything to make sure Guinness was in there in Fuller's pubs. Say no more. Say no more. I mean, in terms of Black Cab, though, I mean, Fuller's almost, you know, saw the future. We've now got, you know, brilliant London breweries, yeah. Anspach and Hop Day, London Black, um, Hammerton, yeah. just done um, a new Nitro Stout, I believe. Um, it's it's in vogue at the moment. Yeah, and Brewdog were announcing that they were selling half of what Guinness sells or whatever this morning. So Is I, that right? I, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know whether that's true or not. But I, I think, yeah, um, Guinness have had the market for, for a long time and, um, you, you know, it's a very famous drink and 
you know, it's got huge popularity and why, why not? But I think that market might open up a little bit. Yeah. And I think that's only a good thing. Yeah. I mean, were there any other examples of, of times that that alignment between all, all aspects of Fuller's didn't work as you'd like, I suppose, when it came to maybe new products or relaunches or? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the main problem uh, when I was at Fuller's, and, and it still is to, to some degree, is um, if you ask the salesman what do they want as a new beer, they perfectly described London Pride, yeah, because they just wanted another London Pride. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I think initially the ideas have to come out of brewing and marketing to a degree and then involve sales and, and finance are another important part of it. But I always found that it would... If you're going to produce a new cast beer, they always wanted it 4% or below because they reasoned they cannot sell cast beer over 4%. Uh, I think that's one of the things craft beer has disproved to a degree, that you can sell stronger beers. Uh, if you look back to the 70s and the 80s, lots of beer was below, or most beer was below 4%. I remember when ESB... Um, was in the newspapers, in the Sunday papers, as being the strongest bitter, uh, the strongest beer you could buy yep. uh, on draft. And it was far and away the strongest you could buy it. And it was only 5.4, 5.5%. But uh, people were saying, oh, this is, you know, loony juice. You should not be buying this. I think some people in still enjoy it for those factors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it, it, does it surprise you that that beer has stood the test of time so successfully i mean obviously not just in the uk but it's a style especially in the states that a lot of brewers and breweries like to you know pay homage to and, and do their own versions yeah, I, well I, I again i think you find you know american craft brewing drew uh, a lot of its inspiration from british brewing and one of the british breweries it did w was fuller's and the reason fuller's uh influenced so many uh, American brewers was number one they used to fly over to London and we're a London brewery yeah. and they used to drive past in a black cab uh, past the brewery on the way into into London from Heathrow so they saw the brewery they wanted to come visit it and they saw our pubs in, in London and drank that bit yeah. you know you speak to Garrett Oliver you speak to John Hall at um, Goose. Goose Island, and, and, that, and that's how they were introduced to it. But also the other way American brewers got introduced to it, we were one of the first, if not the first, people to export to America in terms of ale. Or Sam Smith was another one. And we did that through Thames Valley Trading, who was um, a, a guy who'd got this idea that British beers would sell well in, in, in America. And he, he took Fuller's and Sam Smith and started selling our beers in 78, I think it was. Wow. And ESB and London Pride were the two beers they chose to go from Fuller's. And so everybody thought, you know, ESB was a style of beer, not just the name of a beer. Yeah. And that's how it influenced them. And uh, if, if, if it hadn't been exported to America, maybe the ESB story might have stopped sooner. And to this day, you know, the, the, the amount of brewers that are fortunate enough to hang out with when they come to England you know it's take me to a fuller's pub yeah you, but that's the benefits of being in London yeah and L London's a great place I, I was glad I 
came to work for it. You know, Fuller's was the only people who ever offered me a job, so <laughs> I, I didn't have much choice, but I did come here and I've enjoyed it ever since I've been here. So obviously, did you ever anticipate or envisage you'd end up as brewing director at a brewery such as Fuller's? Well, I mean, that's, a, that's a good question. That be, be, I, I never thought I'd be a brewing director when I first started off in the brewing industry. Uh, but as soon as I started working for Fuller's, I thought, you know what, I, I think I'm going to be the, the, a brewing director here. And you've, you know, in your fantastic articles that you write for us, each issue, um, expertly illustrated by our friend um, Rob Murray, you've talked about your early days in beer. I mean, for the uninitiated, what what kind of lit that fire in you to, you know, that enjoying beer and then also going, oh, maybe this is something I could do, do as a a gig yeah i mean um firstly i started drinking beers because my friends started drinking beer so we started drinking about 17 so we was a little bit underage but we used to go into pubs drink to drink beer and i think it was you know just that social side made me interested in beer you drank beer in pubs and talked to your friends and enjoyed the crack and 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 that was what went on and it was good fun uh but then um uh shortly after i started drinking i left school because i, I didn't like school i didn't enjoy being at school and um then my mother said to me i had to get a job and she found a job for me so which was happened to be at the wilson's brewery which was part of the watney empire in newton heath so i so I said, okay, I'll go for the interview, went for the interview, and luckily enough, got the job. So I started as a lab technician there. And what was great about about Wilson's was it was the friendships that you found there, and everybody was friendly, everybody wanted to help you. And it was just a good time. And there was a heck of a lot of drinking going on, I know. I mean, and... and uh, I was too young. I didn't want to drink in the volumes that some of those people drank. But I used to love going to lunch in the pub, yeah, with the, and have a a pint and something to eat, and and it was always good fun. And the people there were great people to work with. And there's something about the brewing industry that makes it easy. It doesn't matter whether you're working for a company like Watney's then one of the biggest breweries in Britain. Or you're working for a small company like Fuller's, as they were in... They, when I joined them, they were the smallest brewery in London. And uh, I, I, But one thing I did notice about the, the big breweries is they were very tiered. So that um, somebody um, who left school would find it very difficult to become head brewer. It joined from straight. If you joined from university, you found it much easier to become head brewer, and I I didn't quite understand why that should be. But they didn't encourage they encouraged people up to a certain level, and, and they and they made me do day release, for instance, which made me get good qualifications. Uh, but there's so many people at my level with HNCs, ONCs, who were going no further in the in the setup. So I thought I would have to leave at the big company in order to progress as a career. So I, I went to Harriet Watt then, uh, and Watney's to, you know, 
thanked them very much, made me get the qualifications to take me to university. And so I went to university, and but coming out of university, I did not want to work for another big company uh, because I just thought it's it's too centred. Like Watney's were very much centred on London, so that if you work for London, you you rose to the top quicker. Yeah than if you worked in Manchester or for Webster's in, in Yorkshire. Mm-hmm. So I just thought, no, I I don't want to work for somebody who, who is who is set up like that. So I didn't want to work for Scottish and Newcastle. I didn't want to work for Guinness. I didn't want to work for Whitbread. Uh, I wanted to work for one of the regional companies. And lucky enough, when I was leaving university, Fuller's were looking for a junior brewer. So I applied and I, and I got the job. And was it a, I mean, a, a wrench to, to move down to London? I mean, you're no stranger to, obviously, to, to travel and to living in different parts of the well, UK. Well, living in, I, I didn't really, I, I would have much preferred to get a job in a local brewery than I could have lived at home and whatever. But moving moving to London was a bigger, was a much bigger wrench. But they were the only people that offered me a job. And so I had to go and... You just at that age, you just get on with things, yeah. um, and so um, I joined Fuller's in January '81. Um, having I'd, I'd only ever drank Fuller's once before before I worked for Fuller's. I asked it round. I was still I still had the, some connections at Wilson's, and I still worked in the summer uh, there when I was a student. And I asked the people there, what do you know about Fuller's? Well, I know they're a brewery in London, but I don't know much about anything about their beers. So nobody in Manchester seemed to know anything about Fuller's beers. But the first time I ever drank it was at a Frank Zappa concert. We went to see Frank Zappa at Hammersmith. And then we, uh, beforehand, uh, we went in the bar and there was an Irish landlord in there. And he said, you want to drink ESB? That's the beer you should drink. Yeah. So we all had three pints or four pints of ESB before we went to see Frank Zappa. Then we had last orders in, in, in the Britannia with him. And he had then just closed the door and said, if you want to stay behind, have a couple more. So we said, okay, fine. So we'd had quite a few ESBs by the time we, we got somewhere to sleep that night. <laughs> and, but the, my first day at Fuller's, uh, I was with uh, one of the brewers called Jeff Warrington. He said, right, it's time for lunch, John. Do you want to go for a pint? So I said, yeah, okay, I'll go for a pint. And the same Irishman was behind the bar. <laughs> Did he remember you? No, but no. I remembered him and I thought, I'm not drinking anything he recommended. Yeah. <laughs> well, you did well to remember him after that many yeah, ESPs. But he was so distinctive. So you've spoken a lot in our magazine and at our events as well, and previously already today about the importance of a team and yeah. Working together, and you know, goes without saying, you've worked with some brilliant brewers in your time. You know, um, Georgina Young, Reg Drury, Derek Prentice, just to name three. What have you learned from great people like that in your time? Well, I think one of the things you learn is not everybody is the same. Not everybody thinks the same, and you know, everybody has different experiences. And I think to get diversity into your team is a good thing. If you're all thinking the same way and doing yeah. the same things. So if you're all, you know, been to the same school, done the same things, and you're all, all of the same personality types. And I think one of the things that I find, people are different personalities, they're different characters. So 
by and large in a team, you agree on a big chunk of the work and, and the ideas. But there are sections where you will have disagreements. And, and that's where that diversity comes in because they will explain it in a different way and you will see it a different way. Yeah. And I think that's that's what you need. And one of the best places to do them sort of think tanks is, is sometimes after work when you're having a pint. Yeah. And and you, you learn more about people that way. Um, I, I also thought that, you know, it was particularly when I was um, in charge, that it was difficult to make people open up at a meeting, whereas in a pub it is not difficult to make people open up. So I think that was always a good thing. But I think it is literally the biggest thing I learned from teams is make sure you have a diverse team that can bring different things to the table. You know, if you have a team of brewers, all the brewers want to make beer, yeah? And we all want to make excellent beer. We all have the same visions and where we want to go, where we want to take things, but we all have a slightly different way in how we should achieve it. And just because you're in charge doesn't mean you know the right route every time for every answer, for every problem. So John, obviously you had a great career at Fuller's. Um, the industry obviously changed a lot in that time and it's probably changed a great deal since you left Fuller's mm-hmm. as well. I mean, what are your main sort of observations and, and takeaways um, in that period, I suppose? Firstly, nothing ever stands still. So don't don't expect it to stand still. I, I remember thinking uh, when IPA was taking off, which marketing guru spotted that none of them their idea of innovation was changing the color on the label you know and get ipa to come out of left field somewhere it just they did not think about that i think it was so things will always change sometimes for the better sometimes for the worst but the things changes always going to happen nothing yeah. no matter how you see who who thought fuller's was going to be sold yeah yeah I, you know a successful company going on but who thought it was going to be sold but that's because the environment I, I, I when i joined fuller's as i've said before they were the smallest brewery in london when i left them they were the biggest brewery in london and it's it's amazing to see how people's attitude has changed yeah to to that in the we were the darlings of camera. We were everybody liked Fuller's. Everybody thought Fuller's was great. But then we got too big. Lots of small small brewers were saying, "Oh, you know, you're you're far too big." And I'm thinking to myself, "Well, we're making two hundred thousand barrels of beer. They're making a hundred barrels of beer, but Coors UK are making seven million yeah. barrels of beer." I've seen saying we're closer to the man making beer in his kitchen yeah. than we are to Cause UK. And people did not understand that. They just thought as the next tier up is the problem, not the tier after them or the tier after them. It's always the next tier up. It's always the ones you want to be. Yeah. 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 
right, that are the problem. And it's not, that's not always the case. So I, I would have arguments at, at Fuller's about how we dealt with craft. And it was really interesting that there was some people on the board who said, no, you've got to keep them at arm's length, John. Why should you help them? Why should you tell them things? Keep them at arm's length. Well, brewers have always talked amongst themselves and they're always wanting to help. If you have a problem with diacetyl at your brewery, if you speak to me, I'll tell you how I would solve that problem. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say, oh, tough luck. And no. then, because I think, you know, the brewing get, brewers have never been like that. And so I, I thought it was always natural that we would find collaboration and coordination with smaller brewers. And I think, I, and I still think to this day, that if um, the family brewers and the independent brewers and the small brewers all got together, it's a much more powerful voice than if you approach it as an individual group. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Seabur, when they got together uh, with small brewers and got small brewers duty relief through, was again something that was completely left field. It was never going to happen. You couldn't do it, but then Gordon Brown said yes. So I don't understand why Camera and Seba can't fight on these left-wing issues. Because fighting on something to get a penny off a pint is going to make no difference whatsoever. It's no difference to small brewers. I also think as well that the playing field always favours the bigger company. doesn't matter whether it's a pub company or a big brewery. Because it the playing field does favour them. And I think it will take government intervention to change the playing field to give the smaller person a better chance. And and the problem is, is the medium-sized brewers and the big breweries think, if you give the small brewers a chance, you should give us the same chance. And that's not the case. No. You get a lot of advantages through size. But yes, the medium-sized brewers can fall in between the two ends. So I, I think the government need to take a long, hard look at how hospitality is run, how brewing is run, etc. Because I, I think so much favours the big company. And those big companies are no longer British. And what about the young, smaller breweries now that have opened up in recent years? I mean, it's a, it goes without saying it's a tough climate to be I, in at the moment. I think it is tough. It's tough to make money. And I think that's because the margins on beer are so small and the margins tend to go to hospitals tend to go to the retail end rather than the brewing end more than anything. I, and I think that's why, you know, craft beer does have a, a, a larger margin because you can actually get a decent price for the pie. And I think margins are so important. You've got to always look at what your margin is, how much money you're making per pie. And what adv advice do you have for breweries that are plying their trade at the moment? Because... Obviously, with perfect storm, as people like to call it, of you know, rising utility bills and the like, it's it's not easy. You know, we, we're thankfully seeing new breweries opening, but obviously at nowhere near the the rate that we had in previous years. I think my advice to any brewery is be aware of where your beer is being sold. Look at the retail end of of your uh, business, and I, I, my advice is. It's always better to be selling 120% of your capacity rather than having 200% and, and selling 
sell in half, sorry. Yeah. yeah. It's always better to be looking for how are you going to fit brews in? How are you going to make more beer? How are you going to do this? Then it is to say, how are we going to try and sell more because the plant is not running? And it seems at the moment that really if you can and you're able, having that tap room, the ability yeah. to sell direct is it's but imperative. That's been in control of your retail. Of course. And, you know, I mean, the tap room is absolutely essential. I mean, that's been proven in America. And the, you don't, the thing is, you don't just have to have one tap room. No. You can have several tap rooms. Yeah. Yep. And representing your, your brewery. And, and I think what you have to do is make sure your brewery has a vision, a philosophy, uh, a point of difference from other people that you can explain to the people drinking your beer and that you can explain to the people who make your beer with you, who work for you, yeah. so you all understand what the philosophy of the company is, what is its standards, what is its values. And I think that counts for so much in, in, in modern society. I agree. I agree. And a big part of your role um, at Fuller's and subsequently since leaving Fuller's has been on the ambassadorial side. And obviously yourself and Simone out to shot, um, big shared passion for travel. And mm-hmm. um, recently, I know you've been to South America, you've got Prague coming up. Um, I imagine you've, you've visited a lot of great breweries, a lot of great tap rooms during those visits as well. Well, I think that it goes back to my original point. Why, you, know, you know, what did I find out about Wilson's? And it was, the, you know, the friendships and those exist to this day. And again, when you go overseas, I always try and do something beery while we're out and visit a brewery, visit a bar, do things like that. And you make friends and you make acquaintances and you know people. And so many people have been introduced to for the first time while we've been on holiday, meeting people and seeing how they're making beer. It is an influence on on. on me and how I give advice to people, talk to people about making beer. But more than that, it's just friendships. You know, it's nice meeting people who have similar tastes to you, similar, you know, they do the same job, but they do it slightly differently. It's nice having that companion. And brewing is so friendly. Yeah. So I think I could walk into any brewery in the world and say, look, I used to be the head brewer of Fuller's. Can I come in and have a look? And they would take me in and show me something. Yeah. You know, Apart so, from that one in the States. Which one was that? The, ESP, the one that they did ESB and they... Uh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that was Red Hook. Red yeah. Hook. Yeah. Naughty. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, 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 yeah, that's right. But they were so... And it's, it, there was such a difference between the, the, the tap room and the brewers in... in of course. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And um, Prague coming up next then. So yeah. it's, it's, have you been before? I've, I've been several times to Prague, uh, mainly on business. Um, uh, Simon's never been to Prague, and that's one of the reasons we're going. But it, it's a beautiful city. It Architecturally, is. it's a beautiful stunning. city. It's yeah. a stunning city to go. And mm. then they've got great beer as well. So... You know, I'm looking forward to doing it. I've had a few recommendations on Twitter, which is good. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Jeffrey John Bell sent me some through. Uh, 
I'm not going to do every one <laughs> yeah, because you need a year. it's a holiday as well. Yeah, and yeah. I want to go and see some of the sites and do something as well. And one of the things I want to do is go to Dresden for a day. Fantastic. See if I can get a train over to there. But there's plenty of things to do. Well, in the UK, we're so blessed, aren't we? You know, we obviously make our own great beer. But, you know, uh, Germany, Czech Republic, Spain, uh, Belgium on our doorstep. So yeah. never... Never too far away from a great beer. Yeah, but I, you know, I mean, the influence of British beer. British beer. I mean, you could say the same, similar something to to Belgian beer, but but British beer has cast beer, which, which nobody else really does, and it has a setup to do cast beer, and yet we're in danger of losing it. It's now down to under five percent of the total beer sales. About eight point five percent of the total draft beer sales. Why? Well, I I think it's down to margin. I don't think there's much margin in cast beer. So so managers of pubs are not interested in selling it because they don't make enough money. Breweries don't make enough money out of it. So I just think there's a whole problem there. And for my mind, it needs government intervention to, to solve it as a problem. Otherwise, the beer of Britain will disappear. Like, in fact, it, it's, there's so many pubs now that don't serve it. No. Do you feel that that's also part of the issue is it's tough to get great staff in hospitality at the moment and it's a lot of time, effort and resources into training people into how to look after the cask and how to yeah. serve cask as well? I Again, you see that... Why would you, something with the lowest margin on the bar, why do you need to invest so much time and effort into it? And then people look at that and say, well, we don't. We yeah. simply don't serve it. And, and that's the problem. You do, have to inv- you do have to put some effort into it. Yeah. And the people are not willing to do that because they put their effort into the, into the areas of the hospitality that make money. So if you're making more money on food or soft drinks, you're going to be worried about them. You're yeah. not going to be worried about cast beer. Well, we're enjoying two great beers here. Yeah. Uh, Red Fox and, of course, London Pride. London Pride and yeah. we're in a fantastic pub, uh, the Red Line here in Barnes, um, beautifully run by by Claire and Angus. I mean, your pub lunch uh, Twitter account is uh, is famous um, and you're an authority when it comes to that. For you, what makes a great pub and also what makes a great pub lunch? Well, I, I think, you know, it's people. It's a whether you're working in the brewing side or the retail side, it's it's a people business, and Angus and Claire are classic examples of somebody who wants to run a good pub, listens to what their customers want and, and gives it to them. You know, this this pub has great food, yeah, because the people in this area want a pub that serves great food. Angus was master sellerman so many times when, when I used to run the competition at Fuller's that we had to take him out of that competition and make him a judge yeah. to stop him winning because he was so he would do anything to, to win <laughs> to win master sellerman you know he would spend hour after hour in his cellars looking after the yeah. beer and, and when you've got somebody like that you know you're going to get some good food you know you're going to get good beer so you can trust them and you know you're going to get a warm welcome yeah and whatever and that's what makes a great pub and when you go to you know for a pub lunch you do want to have a good pint and you do want to have good food but you want to be in a in a, an environment that you enjoy as well and here we are and here we are thank you john it's been a pleasure cheers thank you cheers, cheers. thanks for joining us and thanks to john keeling today for his time see you next time <laughs>